pochos. What up, what up? It's good to be doing this again. How have you been? Well, finally. And, and oh, sure. this is a nice change. So you're in Kuwait and I'm abroad. Yeah, yeah. How, how the ta- how the turntables, to quote. How the turntables. The office, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where, where are you at right now? I'm in Abu Dhabi. Hey, you know what's the difference between Dubai and Abu Dhabi? What? So Dubai doesn't like the Flintstones, but mm-hmm. Abu Dhabi do? Okay, fine. That's okay. <laughs> We're going to edit that one out. That's shit. That's, a, that's, that's an uncle joke. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, what is it? You're just doing work as usual in, in, in Abu Dhabi? Um, yeah, pretty much for the, for the most part, just here, uh, client meets and stuff. So, um, nice. um, yeah, by the way. Okay. So for people who don't know, we've been offline for, well, I mean, they do know they have questions, but we've been offline for about a month now. That was because yeah. Mo had about 600 things to do for his startup. And at the same time, I had like 200 client deliverables and there was just no time to, to do it. And also we wanted a little break because there's a lot going on family-wise and work-wise and the rest of it. But you know, we're back now, um, back to take away an hour of your life that you'll never, ever get back. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so Mo actually made it back to Kuwait a couple of days ago. And uh, he has decided uh, that he has become a vegetarian. Uh, and he started working out and I'm wondering who this uh, alien in a Mo suit is and where Mo is, but what's hilarious oh. is, so he started lifting for the first time a couple, like last night and I was kind of, th- you know, teaching him good form and the rest of it. And, and now he walks around like a, like a T-Rex that's been shot in the thigh. It's <laughs> honestly the best way to describe it. I've been thinking about like how I feel right now. And uh, yeah, no, T-Rex being shot in the thigh, having seen the Jurassic Park movie, like that is very much how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) He's hobbling around the house. Pretty much. It's like hobbling. I usually carry. You can't move your arm in a way that allows you to normally put an AirPod in your ear. So I I wish, see, this is when I wish we had a YouTube channel because like he's kind of, he's sky hooking it. Like he looks like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar kind of going for a sky hook. But it just goes a little lower just to push the AirPod into place because he can't move it the other, the normal way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so pretty much like for more detail, I guess. And this is something you, all the list, all both of our listeners can kind of like envision on the drive to work. But it's pretty much like I, I have to let my hand loose and or like let my hand loose at my wrist and kind of like hit my ear multiple times to like fix the position of my AirPod. Um, I could always use my left hand, but it's not as you look so stupid. (laughs) You look like one of those inflatable tube man things that they put outside of car dealerships trying to fix its AirPod. (laughs) Pretty much. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. Although I'm going to now, now when people start asking me how I feel, I'm definitely going to use a T-Rex one. (laughs) That's, that's, that's definitely more accurate. Um, and also Mo is now a vegetarian. Um, which is not because that's he loves right. animals, but because he really fucking hates plants. But yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> wait. So this is because you literally just did not, or you you can't cook meat without poisoning yourself, basically. <laughs> no, it, I mean it wasn't just that, but it was just like n- not the whole cooking part. Like the the one way, the one thing I'd say about it is like I I'm regardless of what type of food it is, I'm just a person who likes to eat a lot. And the realization I had is. Like after downing multiple plates of meat, I just always feel like absolute crap. And then 
I ate the same amount of like vegetables and fruits and like, like basically non-meat stuff one day. And I was like, Oh, I ate the same amount. I'm still kind of full. And I got like the nutrients that I kind of needed and I just don't feel like crap. And I was like, okay, I guess I kind of should kind of keep sticking to this. Yeah. Now Mo eats less meat than the cat. Uh, yes, pretty much. But the cat is, she's now on the streets. She, she belongs to the streets. So the she belongs, she's <laughs> one with the streets basically. So we have a cat yes. that treats the house like an Airbnb. She comes back at night, leaves in the morning. Sometimes mm-hmm. she comes back and says, not a joke to take a shit and then leave. <laughs> she goes for a drink Reminding of water. us of our place and then yeah. heading out again. <laughs> Human, pick it up and just leave. <laughs> so yeah. this, this episode is really the catch-up show. We do not have a script because we just wanted, we haven't done this in a while. This is the longest we have gone on high. I mean, this is our first hiatus since the show began, like late last year. It's kind of true. Yeah. And all three of our fans miss us. And we also found out the identity of the uh, magical mystery listener in Vermont. So hi, Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. But, I, I feel um, like that was the fun thing about like checking our like metrics and seeing like random states and countries with like one listen. It always yeah. makes me question like, what? Who is that? And like now we that have we a, have an answer to one of them, I, I'm, I'm happy. We have a German dude who listens or girl. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I can imagine the notification, the iPod notification. Oh yeah, the funny brother is back. We want to listen to the new one. Klaus starts the car. We're going on a drive on the autobahn. <laughs> just 180 kilometers an hour. Just listening to us shoot the shit. <laughs> <laughs> the fat one is funny. <laughs> okay. Like which fat one? The bald one or the balding one? <laughs> but um. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always awesome. And like, th- that was the one thing of like, I know we joke a lot about like having two listeners and three listeners, but I mean, half of the investors and advisors that I met with um, over the course of our hi- hiatus were basically like, oh, what, what happened to that thing you do? <laughs> we, we used to hear about the tweets and the, I used to get the podcast notifications and new ones and all that, but yeah, we haven't, yeah, we haven't trolled uh, Maddie Sino and uh, Maddie Graham True. and um, uh, Dermot in a while. So we have, to, we have has, to find them and make them feel bad. I actually, I actually just tweeted something at Dermot earlier today. He tweeted yeah, this nice. picture of like this crazy dish, like full of chili. Uh-huh. And then I tweeted back a GIF saying tomorrow morning. And then it, it's like a, a, a figure doing like break dancing with fire shooting out of its ass. <laughs> accurate. So that's that's, that's going to be him soon. So oh, yeah. in, in the month we've been on hiatus, uh, let's see. Um, crypto Oof. crash continues. Evaluations yeah. everywhere suck. <laughs> oh yeah, I, just, I mean that, uh, that, that was that was the kind of one thing that we got also, and 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 not to make this entire thing look basically an, a company update, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been this past month specifically has been very interesting as a founder, specifically as a CTO. <laughs> like yeah. um, the the one thing that I can before I kind of mention this, you know how we always say we have very, very cool shit we want to talk about and we just never can because it's always a work in progress. Yes. Well, there's, there's one thing that I can finally talk about. Um, that's basically been going on for months. Um, we've been in talks about it for like, Lord knows how many, like since late last year Mm -hmm. and, you know, got to work on it early this year or like a couple of months ago and finally we're able to wrap it up. But, um, abstract is now fully running on AWS. So we're kind of falling in line now, Hooray! Um, which, 
Yeah, which is very interesting. And then what was what was also more interesting is that um, all the fires that popped up because like right after we migrated traffic over to AWS um, is one of the big big reasons why we ended up taking this hiatus because <laughs> it was very much a I went from like being on just damage the control. Oh yeah, and, and just making sure I get like. Okay, I should have this much sleep. I'm very fragile right now. To oh shit, I have to pull like 16, 18 hour days just debugging shit. And that that really took it out of me. And I guess I needed I needed the Saturdays that we usually take to to record stuff. Um but yeah, overall, I mean this like not only that from from the abstract perspective, and like we did have a lot of good news as well in terms of hitting like revenue milestones and all that type of stuff that I'm sure if you're on our email list, you'll be getting soon. But um, kind of like you mentioned, every every other day we get an email from an investor saying, shit's going to hit the fan. And like I talked to, um, we had this gathering once at our place and um, this uh, IB friend of ours came over and he was like, shit's going to hit the, like, hit the fan even harder than anyone expects it to. So yeah, everyone's kind of on their toes right now and people are kind of anticipating the music to stop right yeah yeah it's kind of uh like how, how have you seen it on on the vc end i guess would be my question i have told every client to revise down your uh uh your valuation expectations it's like we're oh, doing wow. seed at, at 30 million no you're not <laughs> basically i feel that I mean, I, I, was, i'm not was... very well aware of what's going on in, in mina market specifically because i mean yeah Valuations did go crazy, definitely, but I have not been getting a lot of data points about, um, you know, recent, recent seed and Series A's. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. It remains to be seen. I still think this is not the main story. The main story is just the general macro picture and what's going to happen because still nobody really knows. You know, inflation. I mean, that, that, that's inflation's still crazy. What was it like a couple of weeks ago when they they hiked up um, interest rates like seventy five basis points? I think. Yeah, there was that, and they're probably going to do it again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and this is something like this sounds normal, but they haven't done this since like the eighties or the nineties, I think. Since you shat in a diaper? No, no, wait. So since the no, since <laughs> since I shat in a diaper. Oh yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, like this. <laughs> yesterday. Um, but yeah, this it's a diaper, I mean, not newspaper. <laughs> Talk about we should we should probably check in on our social media intern. He's been he's been quiet. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's been laid off. <laughs> yeah. No, he's By been. Which he's I mean, been... We, we cannot we can no longer afford afford the stale bread that we pay him with. Yes, exactly. The the Soviet rations, basically. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think the biggest thing is like everyone's kind of anticipating what's going to happen with the whole you know, recession or inflation or any of that type of stuff. But um, you brought up something that was basically like an oh shit moment that we both had, which is um, Klarna, right? Yeah, yeah. It went from like 46 billion to something like 6 billion valuation. Yeah, 46 to 6 billion. See, this is, this, is what happens. No one... this is what happens when you build a fintech business on the concept of adverse selection. So adverse mm-hmm. selection is going out of your way to select the least fit uh, targets. Mm-hmm. So if you were using Klarna, a lot of the time you were doing it because nobody in the right mind gave you a credit card. And if you're familiar with, you know, how stupid you have to be to to not get a credit card anywhere ever, or how bad of a credit you have to be, it should scare you when it comes to Klarna. 
because Klarna was a lot of those credits. And it's a lot of people borrowing, you know, what would be a micro loan to buy a little bit of something or another or a gift or, you know, a household item or at some point, like people were buying pizza on credit, like literally a $20 pizza order would go on mm-hmm. buy now, pay later. Like, I feel like if, if, if you need to borrow 20 bucks for pizza, you should spend that 20 bucks on like a giant sack of rice and live off that for a while. It's kind of true. But yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Well, here, the thing is like, you know, the bleeding is not done. I think the huge like equities corrections, like the public equities and the crypto corrections have kind of, I mean, they've hit quite a bit. I still think Bitcoin could go down to like 15 grand. Um mm-hmm. So th- those those corrections have come in the public markets. It's the private markets have begun to correct now, and and what we I mean it, it's not over because a lot of the crazy twenty and twenty twenty and twenty twenty one markups have yet to mark down right, and that'll yeah. be happening in the second half of this year. And we're gonna get you're, you're gonna start seeing the Twitter memes about you know private rounds looking shitty fairly soon. True. Um, I can think of at least one fund of funds. That had closed, I think it was earlier this year, late last year or something. Um, and they've decided to basically um, halt deployments. Like they're no longer going to be investing in any funds, at least till Q4 of this year, waiting for the dust to settle. Oh. So I did not foresee that happening. Um, you know, things are ongoing. I know, so I know at least one person who was raising a fund who decided to close basically at what was their second close and just close the fund and start investing because um, the pitch is just, becoming much more difficult um with the markets looking like how they're looking i mean yeah the the one thing that kind of seems from from my perspective like looking at like i I have founder friends who are still raising um they're not taking too big of a hit just yet um you know there are Mm -hmm. still wag me events going on even up Mm -hmm. to the, the night before i traveled to kuwait um there were still wag me events going on like invitations going here and there but i think the the market that definitely got hit the hardest was the the vc markets right it's been rebranded wagney we are gonna need income <laughs> true by the way i'm 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 part of me is glad that the good morning wagme people have finally shut the fuck up you know can we can we actually kind of, focus on product now that that was kind of annoying and that's that's what i kind of realized is like not to shit on anyone on Twitter. This is this is like someone I'm trying. I I can be perceived as a wannabe of, but the people who are like the loudest on Twitter and just don't talk about their company and just shit post. Mm-hmm. Like when you actually get to know them, it's like oh, like yeah, we spun that down. <laughs> it, it, it just shit the bed. It, it didn't work. But it's like it, yeah, it's interesting because it's like mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot of pivots and like they just don't like. Like abstract is like, you know, as any, any startup does, it requires like 110, if not a thousand percent of your effort and me working from home, sticking in one place, you know, it it still takes it all out of me, Mm -hmm. but I don't get the people who are like, I'm in New York now. I'm in Miami now. I'm in LA. I'm in SF. Let's have as an investor. I would be looking at that. as like, wait a second. Is that being expensed to the company? Yeah, I don't like they have to either come from like daddy's money or there's a really pissed off investor whose emails are just ghosting <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I spend a lot of time going to conferences and stuff because I I mean, they are good business development events. Right. I mean, I generate, 
you know, good income from people I meet at, at these things. So, I mean, yeah. I can understand why you'd want to go, but if it becomes literally your entire culture and purpose as a CEO, I have to start asking who's paying for this and what are we getting out of it as a business? Like, can you justify the cost? Um, I mean, that's kind of true. The The one people who I've, I'm kind of seeing it actually work with is whoever, whoever it is that actually sponsors these events. So, yep. um, like I know the big ones in Los Angeles are either AWS or Brex. Mm-hmm. Um, Brex holds a lot of like community events and they're, you know, startups show up, they sell Brex to them. That's smart. Mm-hmm. That's like a marketing thing that's directly related right. to the business itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have anything along the lines of like, like I'm a web three startup and I go there and then, you know, nothing comes out of it. And I just like throw around buzzwords. Like that's the, it's not a, it's not the best use of, use of time or resources. This is just too many people had too much money for too long. And this is all a predictable consequence of all of that. And now we're paying for it's it. Kind of like, here's the thing. Money is sticky. Okay. It's going to stick to something if there's an excess of it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, if, if it wasn't like, you know, it, it was savings and loans in the eighties. And then, you know, you had housing in the two thousands, you had public equities markets since 2008 onwards. You, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a predictable consequence. And oh oh oh, hold on! This this uh, there's this one like micro topic I want to pivot to just a little bit. So there's something that okay. really really uh, grinds my gears. To to mm-hmm. quote uh, Peter Griffin, Peter, but, Peter. But people talking about uh, inflation and not not really knowing the difference between inflation and just the general increase in the price of whatever. So I'm one of the people who has to be very adamant with the definition. So inflation is specifically a general increase in prices because of an increase in the money supply. You cannot have a general increase in prices without an increase in the money supply. Um, Because, you know, they they talk about like, oh, like, you know, this thing or another is a little more expensive at the store today. It's definitely inflation. It's like, you know, you could do your homework and figure out that, oh, one of their, you know, one of their plants were on fire and they didn't generate, I mean, they didn't, they didn't produce as many of that item as they had hoped they would. And therefore prices right. got bit up. Like that's prices going up. That's not inflation. That's not, there's so much money in the system. Everyone's using it to bid the prices of everything up. And therefore there is inflation, a general increase in prices there. I mean, for people who are not really that into economics, I mean, the way I describe it is if, if the, if the grand total money supply in the entire world was a hundred dollars and all of it was in your pocket and you spent 50 bucks of it on gas and 50 bucks of it on food, there is no way that you would end up paying 60 bucks on gas and 60 bucks on food the next week, unless there was a general increase in the money supply. More money was created, found itself to your pocket, and then you bid up the prices, right? So, yeah. and the, the difference between the inflation and the price increase is that price increase would be like, oh, there's an oil supply shock, and therefore, you know, the 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 price per barrel has gone up, meaning now you're paying sixty dollars um, for gas uh, in a given month. However, now that you have less money, there's a deflationary effect on everything else in the in, in the economy, and now you're paying only only forty bucks for food, right? That brings your spending also to hundred bucks. But there was a general price increase in one thing. But if there's a general yeah. price increase in everything, that means there's more dollars, and it really blows my mind to see the number of people who don't seem to get that concept. True, I mean, I, I've definitely seen my fair share of it. But is it like? Have you seen that in like specific, I guess the right term would be like products or items where they complain about this getting more expensive, but them not just understanding that that's just more demand for it. I guess first thing that, that would kind of come to mind is like gas maybe, but I don't know if you well, have I any mean, other idea. Gasoline and, and energy now is just a general supply shock. It's because, you know, the Russian markets aren't flowing like they used to. 
um, into into world markets and there are like various bans and restrictions here and there and, and nobody's really stepped up and created i mean it pumped more oil to offset that and therefore the price of oil is higher demand being held mm-hmm. equal right um yeah. but uh, uh you know food is a good one where it's a mix of both so food is kind of creeping into the territory of supply being down because the cost of fertilizer has gone way up and the fertilizer mm-hmm. by the way was you know mainly ammonia and most of that ammonia is made from natural gas so when like there's a natural gas shortage from russia for example um russia one of the largest producers of chemical fertilizer doesn't produce as much doesn't ship out as much and therefore the price of fertilizer increases that's one thing right. and then also when you're talking about just an increase in the in in the money supply when you look at food i mean the, the items in any given market that are more likely to be bid up in price because of an excess of money among the potential buyers for that item are the necessities. So food and 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 fuel tend to go up first. But if you look at food, there was food inflation long before the Ukraine shit, long before there was like questions about whether or not they're going to get the grain mm-hmm. out of the ports in the Black Sea, long before yeah. there was any question of you know there's enough fertilizer to go around. Um, so people in like the agricultural uh, uh, business or community are kind of pointing to September and October. So the reason I don't believe politicians when they say, oh, inflation is contained, it's coming down soon. It's like, you know, no, all yeah. the farmers who would have planted way, way more in February and March uh, and the climates that were then warming up in the Northern hemisphere, like, you know, the good wheat growing climates, the grain climates, um, they didn't plant as much. And the reason they did not plant yeah. as much was because A, all of their equipment runs on diesel and diesel, you know, shot up in price uh, in right. March, obviously. And then, B, they needed chemical fertilizer, and it's been way more expensive than any any year prior, and therefore they planted less, meaning that there's going to be a smaller harvest come September, October, meaning prices yeah. are going to shoot way up, right? And again, yeah, that's so the idea that inflation is definitely going to be tamed the next couple of months, I think, is ridiculous. Um, I think, uh, I think the Democrats, for for political purposes, I mean, surely they know this. I mean, they have economists, right? Um, right. But for political purposes, aren't really highlighting it or talking about it because the worst potential period is going to come right before November. Oh, so, yeah. so they, they yeah, November is definitely going to be. Oh yeah, I mean November is definitely going to be really interesting to, you know, be in the U.S. for, <laughs> generally speaking, because I think I've been uh, almost on a weekly basis. I've been getting like mail from from these different campaigns, like support someone recall someone like exposing someone doing this doing that it's like and and you know on on the one end like this actually kind of piqued my curiosity and i was like where are they getting this data from and i ended up reaching out to a lot of like advisors and a lot of um you know leveraging kind of the network that i built with abstract to kind of get a sense of like how they work with it and like they have like a lot of very interesting insights into like who to target, what to target people with, and like yeah, understanding the tech and the data science behind it is is it was like a very interesting lesson. It just kind of blew my mind a little bit. And interestingly enough, like the people who were actually magnificently good at it were the Trump campaign in 2016. Yeah, no, I mean it, it wasn't only like they they were really good at it, and like the narrative that they kind of stuck with. I still remember there was, um, I think this was like a Netflix document. It was a Netflix show or documentary, but they were basically talking about, um, what's the guy's name? The weird guy, Roger Stone, I think. Oh, right. Yeah. Nixon. Uh, who was basically like, huh? The guy with Nixon on his back. 
Yeah, yeah, the guy with Nixon on his back. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the guy who basically, like, he, he was basically talking about it, and he was like, so, you know, if you want someone from outside of politics, and this was before, before the whole Trump stuff happened, um, yep. he was like, so, okay, so here's what's going to happen. Like, you're going to have someone who's going to come with some sort of success or some sort of background. He's going to talk about the establishment and wanting to take them down with his chops and all that stuff. And, like, someone stitched it with different parts of Trump's speech where he did talk about that stuff. And it's like, it was play by play like perfect and then it just ended with him like um at trump tower like accepting the presidency like having after having won the presidency yeah um that's the one thing that people don't understand it's like here's the thing like if i say there's like an engineer ex-engineer presidential candidate right right and he goes to campaigns with like a slideshow of like my data shows that the chart of whatever this metric is down over the past couple of years. If we tweak this one parameter, I ran the simulations and it's going to go up in the next 10 years. No one's going to care. I mean, I feel like it's just like to, to, to pivot into something completely different. It's like, and this is, this is very much from just any perspective. It's the, the storytelling slash emotional aspect always ends up having like a higher return on investment than than actual data. Yeah, nobody, nobody wants data. Only only the nerds yeah. want data. Everybody else yeah. wants the tearjerker story. Exactly. And like and the biggest example of that <clears throat> not only like bringing it back to something that makes <clears throat> excuse me. Um I don't know why my throat's like screwed right now. <clears throat> there we go. Okay, we're good. Um sorry, it's it's uh my my podcast voice is is going away because we've been on break for too long. Um, but um, this summer, yeah. So like the coming to a <laughs> podcast summer. app near you, Spotify. a vegan ogre <laughs> with a man bun. <laughs> no, I'm, I I don't have a man bun. Um, you can only grow a but, um, armpit. But okay, <laughs> I could do a beard bun. Do you remember Brian Wilson? He had a beard bun. You cannot rock that. But anyways. No, maybe I'll give it a shot. We'll see. Um, but what, what I was going to say was um, the biggest example of that is like someone I was talking to a, like this founder and the CEO um, of this one tech company and they were raising um, like a seed round, I think. Mm-hmm. And their main thing that they said is like every single investor that we've met with has asked us for so many different things. Mm-hmm. No one has asked to see the tech. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of surprising because you want like I, I kind of understand if it's like if you're in the B2B SaaS space, if you're in a specific industry where there's like a template that you basically follow to build your first iteration and there's no like deep tech or anything. Mm-hmm. Um I see that. But besides that, like I just don't understand why that's like the data or like the engineering behind something just isn't a thing that people look at, you know? What kind of business was this? Um, I think it was, I think it was a B2B SaaS company, if I remember correctly. It was, it was kind of a while ago. So B2B. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, B2B SaaS is not you, you typically one of those segments, at least in my history, my background where I spent a ton of time doing DD on product because it either fucking works or it doesn't. Right. right. I'm assuming they have something running. Um, and if something doesn't work, it's usually an out-of-the-box solution and not really, hey, we have to retrain our super proprietary AI. That's not it. Um, right. Yeah. 
No, I mean, look, different people have different styles. I think there's a lot of I mean, the shittiest investors out there, to me at least, are mm-hmm. the ones who are like, oh, who's doing this round? Is A16Z? Okay, we're doing it. You don't even know what it oh, is. Yeah. You know, right. these people just like follow signal. Um, and by the way, people like A16Z and others know that there are morons like that, which means that they're 100% sure they can fill every round, right? Um, oh, true. So you, you have that kind of investor. You have, you have the investors who, by the way, I mean, A16Z, like if, you, if you've ever been through the DD process with Andreessen Horowitz, it's tech, 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 tech. They start with the tech and they, go, they take a really deep dive in it. And um, uh, they have some very knowledgeable people there. Like you're talking to engineers. You're not really talking to VCs when you're doing that part of the process. Um, and and the thing is, like, if if they say no, and they say they said no to the to the my client at the time, and yeah. uh, they came back with a very well written, super thought out reasoning as to why not, which I had never ever seen any VC ever do ever. It's just like, yo, you know, stars aren't aligned, man. Next time, you... so <laughs> right? Or you know, you know how yeah. VCs say no, right? right. They say yeah. yes with like seven to ten words, and they say no with a Stephen King novel. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then no, uh, I see that. Uh, yeah, they can't just say no. But um, um yeah, so A16Z is is very super thought out when it comes to like the technical due diligence and the responses, and they even like give you kind of like I, I wish I could share the response, but I can't. But it's mm-hmm. they give you these kind of like hurdles, and they say like, oh, if you happen to accomplish this, that, and the other thing by next round, please come back, and we want to have another look at it and take a look at the tech again and see how you you know solve for X here and solve for Y there. So very tech focused. To me, that's like a superb investor, right? Um, and that's not to say that everyone who thinks like that is immune from herd mentality. Right. But, um, and then you kind of have the middle of the pack people who ask certain questions that, and my running thesis is that, you know, the questions come from things that they overlooked with deals that blew up in the past. So if they oh, hammer yeah. down on like team matters, it's because they invested in a team that was really held together with spit and bubble gum. And as soon as the, the going got rough, it fell apart. Um, right. Or if they hammer on on market, it's because they they did a market sizing exercise in the past that turned out to be completely car- completely crap, and uh, you know the startup couldn't grow through no fault of their own. It's just the market wasn't ready, it wasn't big enough. So you know it, it's a it, it's a trial and error kind of process that kind of generates their internal list of quote unquote relevant questions, which is why you'll never yeah. find a one size fits all questionnaire. Um, yeah. This, this kind of what's interesting about this is like it kind of reminds me of the conversation that we had with Aiden, um, Aiden Gold, mm-hmm. um, where it was basically like you know, if I was investing in a company that that wasn't like trailblazing kind of and was working in an industry that already has a lot of like competitors and a lot of people working in that area, then doing the due diligence kind of makes sense. But my main question would be like, imagine you're Kleiner Perkins making the investment in Genentech, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically something that's never been done. The industry's never been done. Like every because it's something that's being done for the first time, everyone's experience is kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's kind of relevant just because it's been in the same industry. Mm-hmm. If if VC were to go back to like taking those moonshot bets that would actually change the world, mm-hmm. what would like what would that DD process kind of look like? 
So, I mean, different people have different methods. So if you, if you, if you ever heard like the late Don Valentine talk, like, you know, to him, it was, everything was about market. It's like, we need to know there's a giant market. Where's the market. Right. Um, with Kleiner, I mean, I had read a little bit um, about their thought process uh, prior to doing the Genentech deal. So the Genentech deal was quite interesting. So Genentech was a company that sort of accidentally invented an industry and basically created its own giant market. So if Genentech had gone to Sequoia, I don't, I'm not sure they were even around at the time, but if they had gone to Sequoia, 70s, right? Um, and asked for an investment, I think it's likely Sequoia would have said no, just on the basis of like, you don't have a market here, you know? Sure. So Kleiner Perkins saw a very, very, very novel solution to a very rare and pressing problem. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go off on like a, a like a, a five minute tangent on this just because I want to. Um, <laughs> go for it. And if you say anything, I'll mute you. But um, <laughs> so 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 here's the thing: like you know, prior to like the 1920s or 30s, if you had diabetes, um, it was a death sentence. You you just you just waited until you died. Like you would go on a, on on a, like a total sugar free diet, by the way, to avoid sugar or try to maintain your levels just by selectively eating certain things at certain times and, you know, checking your own, it, it was really difficult. There was no intervention, you know, it was just like observation and planning. Um, up until the twenties or thirties, when there were a couple guys, I, I'm forgetting the scientist names, because if I knew I was going to tell the story right now, I would have researched it all. It would have been perfect. But right, yeah. in, in, in the twenties or thirties, uh, what they, they, there was a thesis that something in your pancreas had something to do with regulating your blood sugar. Um, it, it was, it, it was just a, it was a working thesis and there was no definitive evidence. So what they did was they got, uh, this is not super, uh, what do I put it? Animal friendly, mm -hmm. but, um, right. they had gotten a certain number of dogs and they had checked their blood sugar levels prior to eating and after eating just to kind mm -hmm. of determine a baseline. They then performed surgery on the dogs where they removed their pancreas. And they noticed that no matter what, their blood sugar was always way higher. And that's when they started exhibiting the symptoms of, you know, human diabetes, um, which right. basically is, you know, if you can't regulate blood sugar, then your, your, your body cannot use the, the sugar in your blood uh, for energy. Um, you go into a ketonic phase, which, you know, that's where keto comes from, which is basically your body starts burning fat for energy. Um, yeah. And that can be dangerous over time because you, you end up with uh, ketoacidosis and then diabetic coma. Um, so uh, that was, that was the, the, the waiting for death part. Um, but what they did was they took all the pancreases that they had taken out of the dogs that were, you know, the, the same dogs who were then, you know, displaying symptoms of diabetes. They froze them. They basically ground, ground them down to a paste I'm pretty sure like they boiled them or heated them up in, in water or whatever until there was like a, a thin film of insulin or like pancreas juice for lack of a better term that separated from the right. panc pancreases. Um, mm -hmm. And then they took that and then they just injected it into the dogs and it was like magic. They're just better. And basically wow. that's, that's the discovery of insulin. And then what happened was, you know, now that they have the cure, they got to now mass produce this for, for people. And they figured, right. all right, where, where are we going to get that many animal pancreases? It's like, you know, the pancreas used to be thrown out by any butcher and they used to get a bunch of like bovine, you know, uh, 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 what is it? Um, cow, 
pig, horse, whatever, all these pancreases. And it was the same process, same very dirty process, by the way, which never generated clean insulin, but it was better than death and had some side effects. So they would do that. Wow. Um, sometime in the seventies and that entire process scaled for like 40 years. It was crazy. The number of animals they went through to generate enough insulin to save people. All right. Wow. And then at some point in the seventies, I think it was, it was Eli Lilly. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, the pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly basically put out this kind of competition that was kind of like the X prize now with what they're doing for the climate thing. Right. Okay. So Eli Lilly, um, uh, kind of issued these requests for proposals to anyone who can find a way to just like cheaply uh, mass produce insulin. And almost every method was some variation of the get it out of an animal method, you know, like, you know, more efficiency, lower dose, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Genentech kind of came along with an idea saying like, yo, we're just gonna, um, we're, we're just gonna make it in a lab. And, you know, most people in Eli Lilly, the, the, the chemists and the technicians at Eli Lilly saying like, you know, if, if that was that easy, we would have just done it. Right. But we can't, it's very difficult to synthesize this shit in a lab, you know, yeah. um, like producing it from scratch is extremely, extremely difficult. It's not at all cost-effective. You cannot make industrial quantities of it. We have to find a way to make it right. There's no factory. Yeah. It was like Genentech's response was like, well, well, technically there, there is a factory, there is a computer that can do this. It's just not based in silicon. It's based in the cytoplasm of various cells. Um, so, and I'm, I'm really watering it down here, but what, what, what Genentech discovered, the process was basically what they're doing is they're taking an E. coli bacteria, which is the same bacteria that's in like the stomach of any mammal or animal, you know, um, right. in your stomach, even in the human stomach. They take an E. coli bacteria. What they do is they have a process to edit the gene of that bacteria. Since that entire bacterial gene, by the way, is like infinitely smaller than a human gene. So it's easier to like read and synthesize, splice into without causing trouble. Right. Um, and they splice in the gene from a, I believe it was a, the, the insulin producing gene that came from a cell from the pancreas of a cow, I think. And they splice that into the um, uh, the actual genome that encodes produce insulin, right? Yeah. Uh, they splice that into the E. coli uh, cell, and they let the E. coli cell basically mass produce in this thing called a bioreactor, which looks a little bit like a metal beer keg. Um, it's mm. just like the nutrients and the and and, and the bacteria, and it mass produces. <clears throat> And what you're doing is you are tricking the cell into using its own machinery uh, to print, for lack of a better term, insulin, which is not something an E. coli cell would print to begin with. So right. all the proteins in the human and animal body, all, all the proteins, everything, uh, all of them come from basically 20 amino acids, which are protein building blocks. And the way that they are arranged and stacked and joined together is the way you have all the different proteins that make up everything in the human body, including things like insulin. Yeah. So the, the part of the cell that produces, that basically takes these random, uh, th these random amino acids and assembles them to create a usable protein, uh, that's mm -hmm. called the ribosome. So the ribosome right. in your body, uh, sorry, in your, in your cells is the manufacturing plant. 
So they've tricked the ribosome into assembling proteins to create insulin and not what the E. coli itself needs. So if you look at the, the bioreactor, there's like a very thin layer at the top of it, which is just pure yeah. insulin made by E. coli that's been tricked uh, into producing oh. insulin. So yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, this was, I mean, this was DNA editing, right? So the mRNA yeah. of the E. coli would go to the DNA, well, actually would be copied from the DNA. And then the messenger RNA, hence the name mRNA, would go to the ribosome. The ribosome would look for a codon. A codon is, is the genetic equivalent of like a, um, a bit. Like instead of a zero or a one, you have yeah. uh, chains of three um, uh, nucleic acids. Yeah. So ATCG or, 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 you know, a, sorry. I think it was GCAT. A, I remember my a, biology class, right? Yeah, ATCG a for DNA, AUCG for RNA. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, basically, you know, it, it's, you have pairs of three and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it looks at the chain of the MRNA and it looks for ATG. So those three, um, or AUG really an MRNA, uh, that is the, the genetic equivalent of hello world. And that tells your ribosome start right. printing here. Interesting. Okay. Right. So it's so like what they do the is same they, sequence that's found across every single ribosome. Right. So what they did was they invented or they kind of printed the section of DNA, spliced it into the DNA of the E. coli, and basically put in a, a, a start printing codon. And then all the codons necessary to properly structure the uh, amino acids to create insulin, and then a stop printing codon. And the ribosome doesn't check to see whether the cell actually needs this shit. They just print. So, oh. so Genentech invented this process and then took it back to Eli Lilly. Yeah. And uh, Eli Lilly was like, this is fucking great. We don't even need animals anymore. You know? Wow. And the other thing is it prints 100% totally pure insulin, whereas you weren't 100% sure you were getting only insulin out of the animal. Uh, sometimes cause some yeah. adverse reactions and that sort of a thing. So Genentech accidentally, basically, they were trying to find a way to create insulin. And what they did was they created an industry, which is biotech. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's you know, and, and you take that and like mm -hmm. 50 years of iteration later, we don't even need DNA anymore. You can just use the RNA. And that's yeah. how we have the mRNA that basically told your body to create um uh, the, the, the antigens necessary to neutralize coronavirus and right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think the one thing that kind of like, you know, the, the main question that kind of comes to mind when we talk about this type of stuff where, where it's like, you know, when you talk about scalability and hacking stuff together from a traditional, you know, Silicon based computer perspective, right. Yeah. Um, that makes sense, right? Like, you know, putting things in my perspective and my knowledge so far in like the different industries that I've seen or like the one specific industry that I've worked in, you know, when you talk about hacking something together, it's like, yeah, whatever, put it together, throw it up in a bare metal server. It's getting some attention, scale it. Um, by scale it, we mean, you know, 99% of the time, if you're not some like, you know, insane genius with a lot of knowledge about, um, you know, fang level scalability you probably throw it up into like a managed solution aws gcp whichever cloud you know provider you have just takes care of all that stuff for you mm -hmm. what does 
how does that translate into the biotech world? It's like, say for example, that, you know, we're the founders of a biotech startup and we're yeah. spent countless hours kind of making these small genetic modifications to different parts of a cell, different cells of some specific body part or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, we finally get the, get it to where we need it to be. How do you go? Okay. We need to do this and start producing a million vials a month of whatever substance this thing is spitting out. Yeah. Like, how do you go from like, oh, this is like one petri dish where I've showed it to work versus mm -hmm. let's like start mass producing it? Because this this is kind of the same question I kind of had with the vaccine as well. Like the the COVID vaccine when you know it wasn't like mass produced off the get go. Like there was a lot of testing that had to be done, all that type of stuff. I know you have a a book. I don't have you read it yet. The book about yeah. how they found the COVID vaccine. What what would you think of it? It's really, really, really good. It's called the vaccine. It's 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 really amazing. Nice. Um, I might I might steal it from you. By the way, what's amazing is like the total um, RNA, like the total weight. If you just isolate only the RNA that's gone into everyone's arm anywhere in the world altogether, it was like five kilos worth of material. Wow, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of yeah. Because like, like you're working with stuff that's like yeah. Basically if you look at it in a bucket, it's just it's it's five kilos of slop that like saved the world from a pandemic. You know, yeah, yeah. That but, that means like we can go. Yeah. You can travel, and I yeah. can travel too. <laughs> but, but to your point, I mean, one of the reasons. Um, so the thing is, like in the early days of biotech, you basically had to create every tool that you needed internally. Um, right. And then in the decades after, they became. So if biotech is gold mining and the decades after what I'm saying is all the, all the different businesses that, uh, uh, you know, made everything from genes to axes and picks and sieves and everything you need in the gold mine, um, you know, the, the, the satellite industries to support the core function kind of came to life. So yeah. it used to be the case that you would have to hire technicians to literally piece together templates to actually create certain genetic sequences. And the longer it got, the more likely it was that there was a, a mistake somewhere. And that kind of thing, right? But um, um, now it's gotten pretty easy. There are companies that you could just like email them your your design, and they'll send you back the DNA. Um, oh, yeah. And by the way, there is a there is an actual programming language um, for uh, genetic design. I have so I haven't heard about the programming language, but I know for a fact that there's a what's it called? There there's basically a GitHub for for like genetic I, I don't know if it's like dna sequences or something along the lines of that yeah yeah, yeah. it's um yeah it's kind of like a github for it, it's it's where they posted the original genome of the um covid19 covid uh, of covid of the original covid that they sequenced yeah. in wuhan and then put online Wow. So by the way, there is something called the synthetic biology open language. It's a free and open source standard for the representation of biological designs. Basically, you know, what, uh, what, what C++ is to computing, this is the biotech. Yeah. Yes, Paul. Oh yeah. I see a couple of code examples. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So basically, you know, your genetic design, your actual genome can be code. Yeah. And you can send it in to one of these labs that actually have the uh, equipment to produce it, to actually generate the template for you to start creating RNA or, or DNA. Um, oh, by the way, here's something interesting that I actually found out uh, earlier today, because I was reading about it um, on the flight. 
So um, if you if you send these people a, a genetic sequence, they then screen it against an internal database of known pathogens to see whether you're trying to print something terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's actually that's actually kind of smart. <laughs> so there are startups, by the way, that help that screening process just to make sure that your biotech startup doesn't like accidentally put Ebola and E. coli, and somebody sneezes, and now you have disaster. So yeah. Oh, that is kind of nasty because I know I know like at the early ages of like the internet, like early two thousand or early two thousands and all that stuff. Yep. You know, the 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 viruses that went around were ridiculous, and ones that were actually pretty detrimental. If if biotech ever gets to a phase where like it's you know, I, I'm not sure where it's at right now, but if it gets like mainstream adoption and people start like, you have retail sequencers to start messing with dna as they see fit you do have retail sequencers you can buy them they're the size of a microwave really yeah oh but if you don't know exactly what you're doing you're not actually going to generate anything that's kind of true but like the the paranoid like the paranoid tinfoil hat person in me is basically like what if like someone makes COVID-22 and just like runs around and like, oh, I made something cool. Let's go to Subway. And I mean, well, <laughs> COVID is doing a good job of, of making COVID-22. Thankfully, it's becoming more infectious and less severe. True. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, this is, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, the people who are the big proponents of it are arguing that, listen, synthetic biology is basically going to become, you know, electricity, or uh, hmm. just you know databases it'll be just an extremely general purpose technology um, because if you can if you can print any protein or print any molecule using modified yeah. bacteria you can print anything true like, i mean there are people trying to print biofuel like you know carbon free biofuels like biodiesel bio uh, jet fuel bio kerosene um, right. that mimics the structure of the petroleum derived product without the carbon. Huh. So th- there's, there's really just endless possibilities with this. It's like looking at a computer yeah. and saying, what can I do with this? And thinking like, ah, oh, this is good for finance. Like, no, it's good for literally anything. And this is the literally way they're looking anything, at biotech, yeah. you know? Interesting. But how, how old is, how old of an industry is biotech? Cause I, it's been around for quite some time, hasn't it? Honestly, the industry kind of began with Genentech. Which was like early 70s, I think. I think it was mid to late 70s. Okay. Yeah, because that's still plenty of time. And I think like what's nice is when you have like a, a positive, like reinforcing feedback loop between two different industries of yeah. like, okay, tech's going to get really, really better, like really, really good with time. And then that's going to make biotech get better. And then biotech's going to make, you know, Lord knows what the link kind of looks like. Maybe we'll start breeding super intelligent software engineers. <laughs> we'll just start feeding into tech. Yeah. You know, but what, um, what's funny is, um, so here's the thing. There's something called the uh, CRISPR, um, and the oh, inventors, the inventors of CRISPR won the Nobel Prize in science mm-hmm. or medicine or something a couple of years ago. These two ladies, yeah. one was Swedish and the other I think was American. Um, right. So CRISPR basically is. Um, like what a USB flash drive is to, uh, you know, personal data storage. And that's what CRISPR is to the ability to store and manipulate basic genetic structures. 
Right. Um, so one thing, I mean, it, it allows basically a novice to edit E. coli bacteria. And I realized all of, all of, uh, um, every genealogist really likes fucking with E. coli for some reason. Um, interesting. Cause it's, it's a very easy to reproduce and, and a very you know, genetically is basic it, structure that can really be used to print anything. Um, is it kind of like the, the, the Python or Ruby of, of the biotech yeah. world? Basically, yeah, you know, mess around it, with it, see what you could do. Yeah. You know, or it's actually a better example, a better um, analogy is it's the MacBook Pro. What MacBook Pros are to tech. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, that's a good. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's the thing. I mean, CRISPR, um, the way it was proven to work is actually super interesting. So, what they did is like, okay, we have base uh, E. coli, right? We have a bacterium here. Um, we want to splice three genes into it. Uh, just for, for, just to show that it works. And it's like, how can we show that works? Right. Like, and do it cheaply and quickly. It's like, all right, we're going to splice genes, A, B, and C into the C. coli. Gene A is going to uh, produce a bioluminescent uh, material, a protein, something that glows under UV. All right. And then gene B is um, going to search for that bioluminescent material in the surrounding, in the area surrounding the cell. Okay. If gene B finds that bioluminescent material, if it finds it in area and it finds it in a non-denatured sense, in other words, it's active, it will secrete an enzyme that will activate gene C and gene C pr uh, prints an enzyme that basically shuts off gene A or sorry, it turns on gene A in order to produce more. So if you yeah. follow that logic loop, assuming I've said it correctly, and you look under a microscope and you film it and you speed it up, you've basically created a tiny strobe light. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's how they prove that it works. Wow. That's, that's pretty like, yeah, I, I it's definitely one of the things that like, you'd stare at and think like, oh, are we, are we <laughs> flying too close to the sun a little bit? But um, it's, it's kind of cool. Cause I remember the guy, the, there's one guy who was like a founder of a CRISPR startup and mm -hmm. um, he was a bit on the, on the more radical, like move fast, break things, Silicon Valley mindset a little bit and, and yep. one thing that we, he was talking about was he was selling those kits out of his garage and he was basically like the world he's trying to create is like like say you wake up one day and you're like oh i hate this thing about me this specific trait that i can't change yeah you know program program a little thing stick it in you and next thing you know it's like fixed that i mean here's the thing it's one thing to screw with a single e coli and then have it uh you know regenerate its mutation and then eventually die and then it's another thing uh having to edit 40 trillion cells in your human body exactly. um you know and not only that actually have the genes expressed which is a different thing entirely um right. and there's really no way to do that i mean the best way i mean here's the thing the best way to edit uh, a gene is to do it to a single cell. You know, we are nowhere near being able to do this on a mass industrial scale. Right. Right. And then yeah. the other thing is um, DNA, if broken can lead to very terrible consequences um, mm -hmm. because damaged DNA that reproduces infinitely and just uh, doesn't stop and starts taking over its system has a very specific name in medicine and that's cancer. Um, oh, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, we we are nowhere near. Uh, sure. what, what we can do right now is we can give tiny bacteria a headache, um, but we can't. We can't That's like you know, rewrite humanity. That's not. We're 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 not near there. 
but there was a yeah. case i mean not not a, an adult human if you're talking about a single cell like a, a, a fertilized egg you know yeah then then there are reports of a doctor having used crispr in china to edit a gene in a human uh, zygote so oh wow yeah so that, so that 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 has been done for, before basically allegedly we don't we don't have a lot of details out of china um interesting but that that apparently has happened um but I, I still think biotech has just such extreme, extreme promise. Um, mRNA, by the way, and mRNA, by the way, for 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 years was seen as the fusion reactor of of biotech. Like you know, everyone just saw it as like you're just, you're, you're dreaming. You're never gonna. It's not gonna work. <laughs> right. So the Next first thing time you know, it kind of saved worked, our butts. You know, if, if, you, if you think yeah. about it, like in the grand scheme of things, it's always something that's absolutely crazy and stupid and you're wasting your time and money and then it works and then it redefines humanity and then it becomes just like, you know, as as taken for granted as clean water. Um, that's kind of true. It's, whether it's like, you know, airplanes or nuclear yeah. power or electricity or, uh, you know, screens. Like, you know, can you imagine if like digital screens were never invented or even analog screens, if we never had the TV, if we never had, so. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a weird world to live in for sure. But I think, yeah, it's, it's always like, I, I mean, there's the, talking about like every, every kind of builder or creator, like regardless of what industry you're in, it's always like, there's the noise of the what ifs, the noise of the moonshots. And then mm -hmm. you like, maybe as an investor, you just have to pick off like the one or two, like clear signals in that noise that this is going to be something massive to change right yeah um i think kind of zooming back out and going to the previous point we made about the you know biotech being in its in its infancy a little bit or just it having a lot of upside and a lot of different potential um what's very interesting about it is like th this also goes back to another thing we talked in a previous episode about for quite like some time that was basically you know biotech and take like web three as an industry, for example, it's all something new, something not a lot of people understand. You have to be very, very nerdy, um, nerdy or like into the actual industry itself to understand all the nuances and the conventions and whatnot. Um, but then everyone on the outside is just going to see the, 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 the fuck ups, like the big, big mistakes that come out of it. Yeah. And that's going to, that's going to lead to a lot of like, political resistance to actually getting stuff done and you know whether that's you know congress congress members of congress who don't even understand what gene editing or gene sequencing kind of looks like or dna sequencing kind of looks like and just banning all that stuff through legislation it goes back to like the whole point of like you need people in this industry to represent that entire industry in congress or in whichever state legislature that needs to you know, be passing laws about this type well, of stuff. The good thing is this is, it's way more developed than web three in terms of uh, relevant regulation. Um, yeah. And really the only like regulatory uh, gridlock in this space, at least in the last like 20 years has been on the use of stem cells. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I but that. even, even, even the medical necessity for the use of stem cells has now gone away because of alternative methods. So you don't actually need a yeah. fetal stem cell to do the things that you needed to do at one point. True. Um, like you can use other cells now. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, I mean the biotech industry is alive and well, I mean, like just go to Boston or San Francisco or San Diego and this is yeah. all, 
all kinds of stuff, you know? Um, True. And the thing is, there's like, there's just, there's so many thousands of different things. So I started reading the vaccine because I just got interested in biotech after, you know, COVID and the mRNA vaccines and all of that. And I've read a couple, you know, some other stuff. And then of course I went to the greatest university of all time, which is uh, YouTube university and uh, started watching (laughs) videos on immunology and and that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, getting an understanding of, you know, how dendritic cells can be uh, uh, manipulated with adjuvants to, uh, uh, to take certain um, antigens to your lymph nodes to have them mass produced and, and produce a T cell response. And so none of that means anything to you, I'm sure, but it's um, <laughs> a little bit. I know. I understand a couple of the words you said. <laughs> so it, it, it was, uh, I don't know, it's an extremely eye opening process. Like just to realize that medicine has only been non witchcraft for like a hundred something years. True. You know, like prior to that, it was like, oh, you know, have some eye of newt and asshole of oxen and you'll be fine. <laughs> but um, right. bloodletting, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Funny thing is bloodletting actually is this, this blew my mind. So for some people with uh, excessive, uh, I forgot what the condition was, but basically their bone marrow produces too much blood and the only cure so to speak is to to bloodlet or like in modern parlance would be to keep donating blood like every couple weeks or something um interesting another one another one that blew my mind is uh there is an actual johns hopkins study on the efficacy of uh acupuncture acupuncture yeah yeah but none none of that weird mystical shit where it like you know reorganizes your whatever i mean like for for pain relief there there is like measurable clinical evidence oh yeah, for people with chronic pain, chronic nausea have actually benefited from acupuncture. And because of that study, you can now get you can now bill it to insurance. Wow. I mean, I know I have I have heard of a couple of athletes using acupuncture to just treat like, you know, your, your typical like pitcher on the IL who mm-hmm. who uses it to kind of treat whatever pain or soreness they have in their elbow or any any of that type of stuff. But yeah, that is like actual therapy, just doesn't that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, actually, it, hold on. Before, okay, before we end this, there is something else. So, okay, for, so for a yeah. while, one of the things I was looking into is like, you know, how are these, you know, conventional wisdom and old wives' tales and, and you know, various sources of alternative medicine and, and the rest of that shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I always wondered, like, were they ever right about anything or were they pure dog shit? You know? Right. Um, yeah. So, oh, man, I got to find this. Okay. What's so. The- in in What's in Chinese medicine, which I I must add the caveat, Chinese medicine is almost ninety nine percent bullshit. Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm I'm not talking about Chinese pharmaceuticals today. I'm talking about like you know old timey, you know, the, the like rhino horns to make you horny. That, yeah, that that, that crap. That that's that's crap. Yeah, yeah, right. But here's the thing. So there was a Chinese researcher who was trying to look for um, a cure for malaria. Um, you know, so the, the Chinese had a herbal remedy for malaria that's like thousands of years old and was filled with all kinds of writings indicating that people actually recovered. So this Chinese researchers decided to look into it and, uh, they found a particular herb. Um, and that herb, uh, was called sweet wormwood and, uh, sweet. you know, wormwood. So Chinese traditional medicine basically dictated that if you had begun to show symptoms consistent with malaria, just go eat 
basically powdered sweet wormwood or literally just chew it, chew the bark um, huh. for, for relief. And uh, in actual controlled studies, they showed that it worked and pharmaceutical researchers were kind of looking into um, why that was the case and found a chemical that is created by the bark, I believe, or of, of, this, yeah. of this wormwood called artemisinin. And uh, artemisinin is an actual pharmacological cure for malaria. Wow. Yeah. It was discovered in the 1970s. And artemisinin, by the way, was one of the drugs they found uh, a way for E. coli to print because they go to sweet wormwood, uh, which is a fairly rare plant. It's not a widespread plant. And it's also difficult yeah. to cultivate. And you would take the, the genome that produced artemisinin out of it and splice it into E. coli, put it in a bioreactor, and it would basically print it. And that's how you have treatment for malaria. Interesting. I mean, that that that's like, yeah, I know we're supposed to be ending now, but that, that's another question that I have. Like, you know, what, what's very interesting is like basically discovering discovering medicines that fix things that we still can't fix before the discovery of the scientific method. You know, yeah. like that trial that type of stuff is very yeah, trial and error pretty much. And I and I remember um what's what's his name? Um, so the, this is author that I really, really like, um, his name is, um, oh, completely. He, he's a physics professor at the university of Surrey in, in the UK. And he wrote this entire book about, um, about the house of wisdom and like types of innovations that came out out of there. And like, yeah. one of the things that he touched on was like Ibn Sina or Avicenna basically, mm -hmm. and how, um, pretty much, and then this was the same things that were covered in this book was also in a BBC documentary. That was, it's on YouTube. If you look up house of wisdom, BBC, it'll come up highly recommend yep. you check it out. Um, oh. But it basically, like he basically talks about how, you know, there were, you know, Avicenna had, had step-by-step -step instructions on how to clear cataracts out of someone's eye mm -hmm. thousands of years before anything was actually like admitted. And like, they talked about like what you need to do to the instruments before putting them on the person's eye. They talked about like, it's, it's, it's very like primitive would sterilize stuff. Like, instruments, which they would, the world yeah. wouldn't do for like a thousand years. He would sterilize. Exactly. Instruments, you know, exactly. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty crazy how like the, I don't know if it's like chance, but how they had figured all this stuff out before the sci like scientific method was discovered before the world, like well, the, the micro world age was kind of found modern. and, the Islamic Golden yeah. basically invented the modern scientific method. You're talking about like yeah, Bag uh, Baghdad, um, the peak of Baghdad, you know, pre-Mongol invasion Baghdad uh, scientific method. Yeah, 1258. Um, yeah, yeah, so you know, that, that... yeah, yeah. I think the the one thing I was going to say was like I think it it was also kind of like the mentality because that's actually my current read. Um, there's one my current book is called uh, Destiny Disrupted, which is the changing world through Islamic eyes and kind of seeing how we went from the house of wisdom to where we are right now and the European Renaissance and all that type of stuff. And it's, it, it definitely had to do with like one of the big changes. And, and this is also something that I, I remember um, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about in one of his talks, but it was like a change in school of thought where like the school of thought behind the Arab world back then was basically take, like take everything from like, if there were ships visiting and they had books from Greece and, Egypt and, and um, China and India, like take all of those, translate them and see yeah. how you can iterate on them, make them better. 
Um, but there was like this one school of thought that changed where it was like they completely blocked off all foreign knowledge. And since then, uh, that just started the the downhill trend that we're still in, unfortunately. It seems, you know, society operates on like thousand year cycles, like 500 to thousand year cycles. Kind of true. And and we we were born in the down cycle. Yeah, exactly. Keep in mind back, back in the peak Islamic, uh, uh, sorry, peak Islamic golden age era, a lot of them yeah. would look at like European invaders as these like illiterate creatures that never wash like themselves, roots, basically. You know, yeah, exactly. There's actual documented grievances of like this European smells like death and can't read. Why is he here? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like, can you imagine if there's a, there's like a, a islamic golden age venture pros podcast or just like instead of talking about the u.s and all that it's just like isn't the house of wisdom in baghdad just so great <laughs> like i wouldn't want to be in london right now <laughs> can you imagine if they had invented electricity in 1258 Ooh. like if they had electricity and like the computing revolution instead of happening like 1900 onwards happened like 1300 right. onwards in and baghdad like can you like we would be we would be teleporting and laughing at people for burning oil you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We'd probably figure out time travel by now, but no. Yeah. It's like these people grow food. They don't even synthesize it. There's brutes. Yeah. <laughs> like you you actually have to like kill an animal to eat and get milk and stuff. It's like what why? What are you doing? That's yeah. I mean, oh cultured meat. We don't that's have another to kill thing. an animal to get milk, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. By the Sometimes. way, I definitely I want to I want to try I want to try cultured meat. It's only legal in Singapore right now for some reason, whatever reason. The in the entire oh, world, like you can only get cultured meat in Singapore. Um, oh. And uh, um, I think they were eating cultured salmon. Oh, like a lot lab- of people oh, were yeah, saying yeah. were saying that it tastes the same. Like, had I not been told, interesting. You know? Yeah. In the meantime, you should totally try like Impossible and Beyond. Those are great. I mean, they're good. I've had them. I've had them with you in LA. Yeah. The only problem is like right. they're a little difficult to come by in Kuwait. True, true. Like I, I know Burger King brought them. Like that's the first meal ever that I had when I came back was a, 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 a beyond or like plant-based chicken royale, which is kind of good. But yeah, no, you can get them yeah. at the restaurants, but I've not been able to find them um, in the supermarkets. Like as patties, right? Yeah. There are other alternatives, but I haven't really sampled yeah we'll see once once you're back from abu dhabi do we'll we'll do our our, our journey yeah yeah we kind of went over time didn't we we definitely did which is yeah, great because i this thought was, heading into this this, this episode script, i was like yeah this episode started as like hey let's just catch up we haven't talked to the to the listeners in uh in a month and now we're like uh, yeah. uh splice viruses <laughs> genetic sequencing if our listeners had like any feedback on this they'd be like stupid europeans get back on (laughs) maybe you can get back the script like shut up so mrna vaccines (laughs) oh god that's funny i'm I'm really interested in biotech and what happens in biotech so i mean it's gonna be a cool thing to keep track of yeah it's bullish bullish on biotech yeah all right. I'm going to give you my book, uh, The Vaccine. Actually, you can go ahead and take it. It's in the office. It's like the top of the stack. Oh, yeah. I'll check it out. I think uh, yeah. 
I, I I'm like half, I was halfway through uh, destiny disrupted my current read about like the whole Middle East stuff um, mm-hmm. until well, we hit the whole AWS migration thing. So I'm probably going to like yep. reread it, but before mm-hmm. I reread it, I'll probably check out the vaccine. Cool. Sounds right. like a plan. Alrighty. I'll see you next uh, weekend. Yeah, we should try recording in the same room, see what happens. Yeah, probably not Zoom. Like we'll we'll use like a voice recorder or something. Yeah. I, I'll just bring my MacBook down, but yeah. we shall see. All right. Alrighty. Happy gene Peace. editing. <laughs>